Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot believe this weather we've been experiencing in Rochester. The last two weeks, I mean, who would have thought in September and October it would be anywhere from 90 to 80 degrees. And anytime it's, it's warm in our family, we automatically think when it's really hot, it's time to swim. And I don't know why that is, but, you know, specifically our daughter Joelle just absolutely loves to swim. And maybe it's because she was born in Georgia and we had an in-ground pool in the back of our yard. And I can remember one time I was out swimming with my daughter. I'm in the middle of the pool. And Joelle's on the concrete patio looking at me. And I just look to her and I say, hey, Joelle, come jump to daddy. And you could see in her mind she was like, wow, that sounds awesome. You know, and so the, the anticipation and the excitement was all there, and she began to walk towards the, towards the edge of the pool, and she's looking, and that excitement and that anticipation began to wane, began to leave, because she looked over the edge of the pool, and she was like, that's a pretty big drop. Like, that's scary, and, and fear and the unknown kept her paralyzed, frozen in her tracks until ultimately... She made the decision to back up and go to the stairs. And we've all been there before, haven't we? I mean, God may be leading us to a decision in our lives where we're going to start a business or we're going to ride a roller coaster. And we get to that moment, we're excited about it, and we get to the edge and we're kind of like, I don't know. Maybe it's because we're afraid. Maybe it's because of the unknown. We just kind of find ourselves paralyzed. We can't move. But I remember that moment when Joel got a little bit older. I was in the middle of the pool again, and I said, Joel, come jump to daddy. And I counted down three, two, and that excitement didn't leave, and that anticipation didn't leave. And at the count of one, she just went for it, and she jumped, and she crashed into the pool. She came up, and boogers were everywhere. <laughs> and she looked at her daddy, and she said, daddy, again. Daddy, again. She loved it. And I feel like our church is kind of at that moment. I feel like our church is kind of right at the edge of the pool. And we're looking, and God's calling us to take this next step. And God has done some amazing things in the life of our church. God is doing some amazing things in the life of our church right now. But we're at the edge of the pool. We're looking at the water. The question is, Will we jump? Will we go for it? If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to provide one for you. You can find it on page 804 if you're using one of the Northridge Bibles. You can also follow along on our app. You can uh, keep notes. I'd encourage you to do that. And as you're kind of weaving your way to Matthew chapter 22, just want to welcome you to Northridge Church. We're excited to have you here this morning. Whether you're jumping in with us online or you're at one of our campuses, you're at Webster or Greece or Arondacoit or you're at Henrietta. Can you believe next weekend is the grand opening of our fourth campus in Henrietta? Yeah, that's something we should get excited about. And if you know somebody who lives in the Henrietta area, invite them to that campus, go with them, and let's celebrate all that God is doing in that campus. We cannot wait for you, Henrietta, October 15th. It's going to be amazing. So today we're jumping into this Beyond Initiative. We're, we're casting a little bit of vision of where we're going as a church, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. It says this. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Now, to give you a broader context of what's taking place, Jesus is being asked this question. But Jesus isn't being asked this question by someone who's actually searching for the answer. He's not being asked by someone who who is searching for God and looking for God and wants to know the answer. No, he's asked this question by a religious man. And he's testing Jesus. And he asks him this question. What's the greatest command in all the law? Now let's pause here for a second and think who's answering this question. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is, if, if, we're, if you're a Christian today, this is the author of your faith. This is the guy you claim to follow. And he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Let me put it to you like this. What's most important in life? And if there was ever a time as Christ followers, we should just kind of bend our ear in a little bit and listen, it probably would be to this question. If there was ever a moment where we're like, oh, maybe we should pay attention because the author of our faith is answering one of the most important questions we'll ever hear the answer to. If there was ever a moment to lean in a little bit, it's probably right here. And Jesus answers. He says this. He says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, Jesus doesn't shock anybody with some deep theological truth. I mean, no one walked away from that answer and be like, whoa, that was deep. No. Jesus answers really simply. He says, hey, the greatest thing in life is to love God with all that you are, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. It's nothing major, major or crazy. In fact, it's so simple, but yet it's radically hard. But what's interesting is what happens next. Notice, Jesus was asked for the greatest commandment, which required a singular answer. They just wanted, hey, what's the top dog? What's the most important thing in life? But Jesus doesn't give a singular answer. He keeps going. He says this. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, it's interesting. Jesus was asked for one commandment, and he gives two. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you can't do one without the other. It's two sides to one coin. Because he recognized that when you love God with all that you are, when you truly love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, out of that overflow leads you to a place where you love your neighbor. Out of that overflow is where it leads you to love the people around you. The problem is, is I know a lot of Christians who claim they love Jesus, but they can't stand their neighbors. I know a lot of Christians who claim to love God with all that they are, but they can't stand the people they work with. I know a lot of Christians who say, man, I love Jesus, but I don't really care about loving others. And Jesus says, hey, if you think you're doing one without the other, you're doing neither. And this truth is laced all throughout Scripture. This truth is everywhere in God's Word. In fact, let me show you a couple areas. 1 John chapter 4, 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking again. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we need to recognize that everything we are called to do as Christians and as the church is rooted in that simple yet powerful word, love. Everything you are called as a Christian, as an individual walking with God and loving God, is rooted in that word love. And everything we are called as a body, as Northridge Church and as the Big C Church, is rooted in love. Now love, we hear that term quite a bit in our culture. But love really simply requires just two things. The first thing it requires is a relationship. you got to know somebody to love somebody. It requires a relationship. But then secondly, love requires action. It's proof. Action is actually the evidence that there is love in the relationship. And so we come to this recognition that love starts with a relationship, but it's made evident through action. You see, this is where most of us miss the boat. We, we say we love, but we don't live like we love. We say we love God, but yet we don't love others. And God's like, where's the action in our love? And what's even scarier, maybe, is how God measures this. What's scary for us and what should be a warning for us as Christians is how God actually measures how if people really do love him. You see, Jesus measures who are his followers, who are his disciples, by how they love those in need. And we see this in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. Jesus is separating the people who actually do love God and the people who only claim to love God. And here's how he measures this. He says to the people who just claim it, he says, Then I will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angel. Those are some radically powerful words from Jesus. And he gives us, hey, here's why I'm telling you this. Here's why I say you only claimed to love me. He says this, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And here Jesus is measuring, hey, if you claim to, to love me, when you interact with people in need who are hungry and thirsty and sick and broken, you'll step in. But for those of you who watch those who are thirsty and hungry and you just turn your back on them, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And Jesus measures who tr the people who truly are his followers by those of us who love those in need. So what does this mean for us as a church as we step into this vision called beyond? You see, strategically, we've loved people in need by a thing we call in our church Advent Conspiracy. And what Advent Conspiracy is, is during the holidays, we ask our church to give the greatest Christmas gift back to God. Financially, And so we pick a weekend, just one Sunday, and every single dollar that we take as a church, we give away. We give away to ministries all throughout the city of Rochester, and we've also invested in the country of Africa, in a village called Mara Mara. And actually, as a church, 
We are right at that million-dollar marker of money that we have just given away to help our city and to help a village that most people don't know. We've given away close to a million dollars in five years to love on our city. But we believe God's calling us to take that next step, to go beyond. And what that means for us is we want to go beyond just giving financially, but we want to engage in relationships through love. You see, we're going to continue to give. We're going to continue to do Advent Conspiracy. It's been rolled into beyond where we financially give to the, to the city of Rochester and ministries all around Rochester that love and bring the gospel. We're going to continue to give to Mara Mara, but we want to step into, we want to go beyond just giving, and we want to step into relationships and build relationships that point people back to the gospel. So the question is, how do we do that? What's our strategy? What does that look like? Well, Jesus lays it out for us. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 8, he says this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so Jesus really gives us the strategy of how we go about Stepping into beyond. You see, in this context, Jesus just rose from the dead. He just conquered death, and his disciples are jazzed. They're amped. They're like, Jesus, you're going to establish your kingdom right here and right now, aren't you? Jesus is like, hold on a second. No one knows the times of the Father, but I'm going to do something through you. Because you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus gives us this strategy. He says, hey, here's, here's the first part. Start local. Start local. He says, Jerusalem, that was the city that they knew so well. That was their backyard. That was their neighborhoods. He says, start local in Judea. That was the region Jerusalem found itself in. He says, Samaria, that was the region that bordered Judea. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to start with the relationships that you already have the influence that you already have in your neighborhood, in your place of employment, in the school you go to, the school you teach at, with the moms you hang out on a regular basis. Jesus says, I want you to start with the relationships that I've placed before you. Do you realize today the reason why you live in the neighborhood you do is because God wants to use you to impact people for the gospel? Do you realize that God has you at that office because he wants to use you to impact people for the gospel. He wants you to be his witness. There's a reason why you are where you are. There's a reason why you live in that neighborhood. It's so you can point people back to Jesus. But he recognized something. He says, start local. Why start local? Because if we don't love the people in our backyard, we shouldn't really expect to love people around the world. I mean, if we can't love the people who are right in front of us, what makes us think we can love people who are miles away? But I know why Christians start with the world. Because it's easier. Because you know what? I can, I can write a check and I can send it to some ministry across the world and I can pat myself on the back and I can say I'm a good Christian. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's a lot harder to start in your backyard. It's a lot harder to invite that person who might reject you at the office because your reputation's at stake. 
What people think about you is at stake. And it's a lot harder to invest in the people who know you than it is to just write a check. No one's ever going to send, no one other ministry is going to get your check and say, nah, we don't want it. But the people who you work with might say, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Leave me alone. I don't care about that stuff. Jesus says, start local. And I think about where we live, the city of Rochester. I think we want to be a church. I mean, just six months ago, we, we declared as a church that we are for Rochester. We are for our city. And I think of, hey, loving out of the overflow of our love for God, it leads us to love others. And I think of some specific needs in our city that are glaring. The first is I think of orphans. I think of the kids who don't have fathers or mothers. Think of the kids that bounce around from foster care family to foster care family, searching for hope, searching for meaning, and a little bit of security in their life. You realize the Bible has a lot to say about the orphans. James chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their afflictions. Isaiah 1, 17, it says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, and bring justice to the fatherless. Psalms 82, verse 3, it says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Proverbs 31, verse 8, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And that's just one, a little slice of the pie. I could have given you 20 more verses from Scripture that says we got to love the orphans, orphans, the fatherless, the kids who can't speak for themselves. Do you realize that in the county that most of us live in, Monroe County, at any time there's nearly 500 kids in the foster care system. 500 kids who are bouncing from home to home just praying and hoping that somebody will really love them. You know, I think of that number, 500. Do you recognize that just last weekend? Just last weekend at Northridge Church, we had in attendance close to 2,400 people. And what would it look like if the foster care system just knew, you know what, when a, when, a, when a kid needed a loving home, all we had to do was call Northridge Church because they'll fill in the gap. 500 kids. We could put a dent in that right now if some people were saying, I'm willing, out of the overflow of my love for Christ, I'll step in and I'll fill a need. I'll jump into the foster care system. You know, it's even sadder is of that 500 kids, a portion of them will turn 18. They'll turn 18 and they'll be pushed out of the foster care system and they'll be told, good luck. Hope you make it. And while we're all having Christmas and Thanksgiving meals with our family, those kids are just searching for some shelter or some food to eat. And we wonder why our city has drugs and alcohol. We wonder why our city has, has problems. Is because you want to know who fills the gap? The gangs. Kids are searching for someone to love them, and guess who's filled that gap? The gangs. They say, come on in, join us. We'll love you. We'll take care of you. And we wonder why we have so many problems. Because the church hasn't really been the church. Hasn't loved out of the overflow of Christ. Loved others. But it's just not the orphans. When I think of our city, I think of the poor. I think of the homeless. People who don't have homes to go home to. 
People who can barely make it financially. The Bible has a lot to say about the poor as well. Job 29, verse 12, it says, Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help them. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Galatians 2, 10, All they asked was that we continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Do you realize that in the city of Rochester, Every year, 2,500 people are homeless. They don't have a home to go to. And I know we think, like, that's just single people. That's just, you know, separate guys and girls that they'll figure it out. They'll get on their feet. But do you realize of the 2,500, 600 of them represent families, moms and dads with children. Can you imagine that, parents? not having a home to go to, so you find a shelter where there's lots of people and you don't really re- realize if your kids are safe or not. In the city of Rochester, 26% of the city lives below the poverty line. Do you know what that means? For a family of four, they live on $24,000 or less. 16% of the city lives in extreme poverty. That means a family of four lives on $12,000 or less. They live in homes that most of us wouldn't even step foot in because we would say they're disgusting. But that's all they know. That's all they have. And I want us to recognize this as a church is we don't have to wait until we launch a campus in the city to start reaching the city. We don't have to wait until we have services and events planned in the city to start building relationships and loving on those who are in need. God says, hey, I want you to love me with all that you are. And the overflow of that leads you to step in and to love those who are in need. But he doesn't just stop with local. He says, hey, I want you to start local. But then I want you to think global. He says, to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations of all tongues and tribes and ethnicities and races. And we've done that as a church by investing in a village that the world has forgotten about, in Maramara, in the continent of Africa and the country of Chad. I mean, this village is in the middle of nowhere. And we've invested in this village by providing clean water for them to drink. We've invested in them by helping them learn how to grow crops so they can sustain themselves. But this year we're going beyond and we're sending five people in our church to invest relationally. Five people to go and build relationships to ultimately point to the gospel. We're sending two ladies to invest in the women who have been forgotten, who are overlooked in that village. But we believe we want to take one more step. You might have noticed this, but Compassion International has been with us for almost a week. They've been hanging out with us. They brought their experience. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't gone through the experience, make sure you come back tonight and walk through that experience where you get to hear a story of a boy or a girl who lives in poverty. And we've partnered with Compassion, and we've picked a specific location in Honduras tied to two local churches. And there are 296 kids that are in need of sponsorship, sponsorship to provide food for them, Education, so they can end that cycle of poverty in their family. 
And our team's prayer, our leadership team's prayer, my prayer as your pastor is that Northridge Church would step in and we would sponsor all 296 of those kids. And what I love about compassion is it's not about just giving money. It's about establishing a relationship. You see, with compassion, you can write letters to this kid. You can, you can talk to them. You can establish a relationship. And our goal at Northridge Church is that we would get to the point, we picked Honduras specifically, because it's only about a three-and-a-half-hour flight away. And our goal is to offer short-term mission trips within our church of people who have committed to these kids and say, hey, we're going to actually go and meet them. We're going to invest in their family and relationships with them. Our daughter picked out a three-year-old girl, or three-year-old boy. His name's Edgardo. And I tell you, I cannot wait for that moment when my daughter gets to see the gospel in real life, when we talk to this little boy and say, hey, the reason why we've done this is not because we're good, it's because of what Jesus has done for us. $38 a month. I know that seems like a, a stretch, For a lot of us, how am I going to make that work? But maybe it's just that coffee you drink at Starbucks every morning. Maybe it's pushing pause on your cable to bring the gospel to a kid who needs hope. Maybe it's just saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to say no to one meal out a month. Jesus says, hey, I want us to start local in our backyard, but I want us to think global. And we have to come to this place where we realize that if no one acts, nothing will change. If we don't act, we can't expect anything to change. Our city will be broken. Kids won't have homes. And families will struggle to make it. If we don't act... We can't expect anything to change. We can't expect kids to have hope. We can't expect the the poor to think God's great if his people aren't. If we don't act, absolutely nothing will change. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as individuals? What does this mean for my family and your family? What does this mean for us as a church? I want to walk you through this. I'm going to challenge us as a church to rise up, to stand for the broken, to stand for those who can't stand for themselves. And so at all of our locations, you were given a program when you walked in. I'd ask every single person to pull that out. Pull it out, look at it, and I want you to point your attention to the bottom part of it. It's called a connections card. And here's what we're asking Northridge Church to do. We're asking you to follow Jesus' strategy by starting local. So we want you to start with our outreach strategy of Pi Squared, where we're asking every single individual in our church to commit to pray for opportunities that God would lead you to opportunities to invest in relationships in your backyard, in your workplace, in the school you go to, ultimately to invite someone to their next step. We start a brand new series next week called Seven. 
where we flew to Turkey to shoot on location of the seven churches in Revelation. It's going to be a fantastic, powerful series. I'll promise you that. But we're asking every single person in our church this week, maybe to your neighbor, maybe to your coworker, maybe to your friend, to say, hey, would you come check this out with me? We got invite cards for you. If you need anything else, let us know. But hey, come check out what God's doing at my church to make the invite, to start local. But then secondly, we're asking every family and every person and single in our church to think about the orphan and to think about the poor. We're not asking you to make this giant step today where you start a nonprofit and you end world hunger. <laughs> we're asking you to get more information. We're asking you to receive more information on these topics in our city so God can lead you to make a decision. Maybe some of you, are, God's been pushing you and you know, hey, it's time to jump into the foster care system. Or maybe you know, hey, God's leading you to adopt and that's amazing. But here's what we're asking all, everybody in our church. On the connection card, there's two boxes, poverty alleviation and supporting foster care or adoption. We'd ask you to check at least one of those boxes to get more information. You can check both of them if you want to, to love on the homeless or the poor or the foster care kid. And here's what we're gonna do. Please fill out the card, put your name and email on there. Please write your email so we can read it. <laughs> that always helps, right? And we're gonna give you more information. We're gonna have meetings where you get to learn from people in our church who are already doing this, where you can support them. You can help support a foster care family. But just get more information and let God lead you to what decision you need to make. But then, finally, to think globally. This is a big ask. It really is. But we serve a big God. And so when we think globally, I'm asking every single family, every single single person, to sponsor a kid through compassion. I'm asking us to step up for kids across the world who live like we can't imagine. A six-year-old going to work to support his family. When you think about that, $38 a month doesn't really seem like that much, does it? You can support a compassion kid at the end of our services. You walk out, there's a compassion banner and all 296 of those kids are represented at those tables at all of our locations where you can sign up today. And I would challenge you to do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, hey, I'll, I'll think about it. You know what I think about it means? It means no. But to do it today, to make a decision to say, hey, I can sacrifice to bring the gospel to some little kid, to build a relationship, maybe one day meet him. You know, I think you heard the facts. I mean, you know our city's broken. You see it every day with your lives. And I think the facts sometimes don't ever stick. They just kind of hang there. We know them. But sometimes a story changes the game. So I want to introduce you to somebody. Aiden, will you come out here, buddy? Hey. Hey, buddy. Come here. <laughs> yeah, hey, Aiden, can you give everybody your cheesy face? <laughs> this is my buddy, Aiden. And today I want you to hear Aiden's story because 
just about from the moment Aiden was born, he was placed into the foster care system. His mom made the selfless act because she knew she couldn't provide for him, so she placed him in the foster care system. And for most kids, that means you bounce around from home to home just wishing one day you could stay. That means you search for love and security and hope where there is none. That's what it meant for Aiden. But his story was different because of one couple, Dave and Cassie Wilson. Dave and Cassie go to our Webster campus, and they felt like God was calling them to jump into the foster care system. So they followed their calling of God, and one day they got a phone call, and it was a baby boy. It was Aiden. And for 800 days, Aiden was in the foster care system until on the 800th day, he found his forever family because Dave and Cassie adopted him, gave him the hope of the gospel. And do you want to know where it all started? Do you want to know why this little boy has a home? It's because it started with a couple who were so madly in love with Jesus and out of the overflow of that love, it led them to a place to love others who were in need. And because of it, Aiden has a home. He has hope. Can we give it up for Aiden? And not every story looks like that. Sometimes jumping into the foster care system means helping a family find restoration. It doesn't always lead to adoption, but it's us as Christ followers saying, God, I love you so much that I'll do whatever you call me to do. Whether that means feeding the homeless or helping them get on their feet, or that means help supporting a family in the foster care system, that's up between you and God. As you establish your relationship with Jesus, may he lead you to a place, may he call you to a place where you step in and you fill the needs around you. That leads us to a question that I think I would love for us to answer. If not us, then who? If not us, then who will fill in that gap in our city and around the world? If we don't love the orphans and the poor and the kids around the world who have nothing, then who will? Because I think we're at the edge of the water. And I know it's scary, and I know, man, God's going to call you to crazy, and it's going to be wild, and it's going to be like, I'm not sure if we can make it. I'm not sure this is a wise decision. But if not us, then who? If the church won't be what God's called it to be, then who will? And as we stare at the water and our fear creeps in and we're frozen, it's time where we as the church said, we will rise and we will jump and we will go for it. Because 
love God that much? Because I'm so in love with my Savior that I'll do anything that he's leading me to. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is calling us to do something.